Good morning, and thanks for joining us online. So glad to be with you today because we're kicking off a new series for the next two months. This is a series designed to help you pay closer attention to the voice of God and what God is calling you to do in this world and in this moment. So we're going to be opening ourselves up to the Spirit of God and listening for our sense of calling. Throughout history, God has called upon people like you and like me to participate in his redemptive work in this world. This has included men and women, young and old, new believer and veteran believer alike. God has called on people to take part of his redemptive work. In their younger years, Abraham and Sarah were called upon by God to leave their homeland and to go to a new country to become ultimately a blessing for the entire world. Then again, God called upon Abraham and Sarah in their older years to believe in a promise that he would provide them with a child. God called upon a young boy named Samuel as he was in the temple serving God. And it was during a time when people were not listening to God and walking in their own ways. God called him to be a prophet and to lead the nation. God called upon a young woman named Mary. She ultimately became the mother of our Lord Jesus. But she was really a nobody in the eyes of the world. But as God came upon her life, he visited her and affirmed her, saying that she was highly favored. In the eyes of God, she was a somebody. So we want to learn to prize the voice of God over the voice of the world and learning to listen to the call that God might be having on our lives. Now, to be sure, we want to make sure that this conversation that we're having around calling is something that is God-centered. It is all about God. Because, to be honest, this is a conversation that maybe many of us have had in our workplace, in our careers, in terms of career guidance. Calling is not a foreign concept to business. In fact, many people consider their calling in the workplace. Now, that may be part of it. You may be hearing about, you may have heard of people finding their calling and leaving their jobs to go start their own business or maybe to do, uh, to follow and chase after their own dreams. And certainly that can be part of calling. But I want us to pay close attention to the very word itself. If you look at the word calling, there is an assumption about this word. There is a relationship to pay attention to. Someone is calling and we are responding. And this series for us at Access is all about the ways in which God calls and we respond. So what we're trying to do in this conversation is regain the spiritual dimension of it, that God is a God who calls and values our work and wants us to participate in his redemptive work in this world. Now, let's get right into our series today. We're going to do several things, four things in particular. I like to point out our theme verse, talk about some of the dynamics and some of the details of that verse. Then I'd like to talk about two aspects of calling, and these will set up all the future messages that we looked at. Uh, so these are these will form the basis of how we form a framework for understanding 
calling. And then finally today, we're going to be celebrating the Lord's Supper, the bread and the cup. So if you have the elements with you, be sure to have them ready for the end of the message today. But let's dive right into scripture today and take a look at our theme verse, which comes from the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, reads as follows. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. There are two dimensions to this verse that I'd like to explain. And the first is summarized by these words, where we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus. Now, these verses come right on the heels of two of the most popular verses uh, in Ephesians that are often quoted about our status before God, that we, namely, that we are saved by grace and not by our own works. We don't earn our way to God. We don't earn our own salvation. We don't do enough good works to earn credits before God. That's not the way it works. If you want to start a relationship with God and journey with God, you receive the gift of God, which is God's Son dying on your behalf to set you free from sin and death. We follow a Savior named Jesus who leads us by grace. This is essential to understanding what these verses are all about. When it says that we are God's handiwork and that we are created in Christ, this isn't just about all humans being made in the image of God. These verses are specifically pointing out the fact that when you or I commit to following Jesus, something supernatural takes place in our souls. We are recreated. We are born again. And in a sense, this is the handiwork of God. Only God can raise the dead, and only God can bring life to our souls. So we are acknowledging this work first and foremost. To begin the journey, we first acknowledge that we are God's handiwork. Now, these verses go on to talk about how this leads us to the next dimension of these verses. We are created in Christ to do good work that God has prepared in advance for us to do. This is what our series is all about. Have you ever felt that inner desire to do something good with your life, to take part in a bigger plan, or to be part of something that really mattered? Have you ever felt that longing to do something more with your life? Or have you ever spent some time serving other people, helping other people, and ending the day feeling like you've done something that really mattered in life? Like that day was really worthwhile, and even though you were entirely spent and tired out, that you did something that made sense to your soul? If you have ever felt these kinds of things, then maybe you have lived into the reality that this verse is pointing to. We have been designed by God, saved by God, but not just saved, but set on a course to do something good that God has prepared in advance 
for us to do. And when we live into it, when we discover it and pour our hearts into it, we discover one of the more meaningful experiences that we can have in this life. Something that can bring us a tremendous amount of joy. So many of you know that over the last year, we adopted a dog in our household. His name is Jack, spelled J-A-X. He's a mix of breeds. And when we first got him as a puppy, boy, he was a handful. The first day we brought him home, he tore a hole in my favorite shorts. And then while we had him in the backyard, he ripped a hole in one of our camping chairs. Boy, he was a lot of effort. And for sure, people had warned us in advance that having a puppy was going to be a lot of work. And I heeded this advice, but didn't fully know how difficult it was going to be until we started actually living it. And there were points along the way, I must admit, where I was thinking, did we actually make the right choice? But after months and months of investing in Jax and walking with him, having fun and teaching him some obedience rules, he learned and he got a lot better at his in his behavior. Now one day, just a couple months ago, I was walking in uh, Terry Hershey Park and a family walked by me as I was walking Jax. Um, a mom and a dad and two young little girls. And one of the little girls came up to us and, he, and she asked me, can I pet your dog? And I, I thought about it for a moment. Now, Jax had been really good about obedience and he had followed a lot of good orders. He had made a lot of friends in the neighborhood, but didn't have that many interactions with kids. And I thought, well, sure, why not? It was such a, a pure and innocent little ask. And I, I asked him, first of all, Jax, can you lie down? And he did. He followed my uh, command to lie down. He got really flat in the grass. The little girls came over and they started petting him and he lay there perfectly still. And they were just filled with a sense of joy. Afterwards, mom and dad came over and just thanked me and the four of them went walking their way. I went walking away with Jax and I was filled with a sense of happiness. And it dawned on me that day suddenly that my relationship with my dog, the time and effort that I had spent with him, could not only be a blessing to my kids and my family, but it could be also a blessing to other people. It could bring joy and happiness to others. And that began changing my relationship with Jax. Now, to be sure, he is still just one years old. He's not a perfect dog by any means. He spends days just barking at our neighbor's Labrador. He pulls me down the street and he sneaks into places that he shouldn't all the time. He's still a pup and he has good and bad days. But this is my point in sharing the story. You see, God has a redemptive plan for this world and he invites you and me into it. And our work, our time, and our investment, and our labor is worthwhile in the eyes of God. And it can be used to bless other people. And it doesn't have to be a grand vision, a huge dream, or something world-changing. It could be small. It can be simple. 
It could be so simple as saying hi to a stranger in the park. It could be as simple as walking your dog. It could be as simple as giving time and attention to two little girls who just needed time to spend petting a furball. So let's get into the two aspects of call today that will help set up the framework for understanding the messages that will be coming. First of all, we are called by a good God. We are called by a good God. As I mentioned in the very beginning, the word calling itself assumes a dynamic, a relationship, a caller and the one who responds. And the one who calls is our very good and gracious God. And it's essential that we get this part of the theology correct because it will help us to avoid one of the most common pitfalls that happens when we talk about this very subject. That is, somehow equating our calling with our sense of self-worth and value. You know, no matter how often we point that out here at Access, it's a pitfall that many people, including myself, fall into time and time again. We equate our work and we believe falsely that our work is equal to our self-worth and our value. But you see, we are first of all called to a good God. One of the ways we can see this most clearly is from a movie that came out back in the 1980s. It was called Chariots of Fire. It's a movie about two different men and their race to win at the 1924 Olympic Games. How much this movie is based on real life, I don't know. But regardless, it's a movie filled with great dialogue and lines, and it contrasts two different approaches to work and calling. The first character of the story is Harold Abraham. Now, Abraham was an amazing athlete who went to Oxford. In one scene in the movie, there's a vulnerable moment that gives insight into his thought process for the Olympics. He's talking with a friend, and he shares his deep insecurity about running. He says that when he races, he looks down this four-foot lane in front of him, and he says he has 10 seconds to justify his existence. He's got 10 seconds to compete and figure out if his life is worth living. He's got 10 seconds to show the world that he is actually worth something. And this is absolutely nerve-wracking. And at the end of the scene, he ends with this question, Will I? He really wonders if he's going to make it. Now, the good news of the movie is he does make it. And the good news of history is that he does win gold. But what a terrible weight to live under. The other character in the story is Eric Liddell. Eric is a different person altogether. He has a commitment to God. He's a Christian who refuses to run on the Sabbath day, so he actually forfeits some events and doesn't win in them because he is so committed to the way of God. Now, Eric runs with a different motivation. There is a scene in the movie where he's talking with his sister and he's explaining why he runs. He says, I believe God made me for a purpose. And by that, he means that he believes that God has called him to serve people in China by becoming a missionary. 
It's a very brave and noble pursuit that he will take on later in life. It's not in the movie, but in real life, yes, he does go to China as a missionary, and he will one day um, lose his life under Japanese occupation. Uh, that's <laughs> that's an aside, but but for the movie, here's a line that really rings true. And he's talking about his running. He has also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. You see, this is why Eric runs. He loves running. It's part of who God made him to be. And when he runs, he's not trying to prove anything to anyone. He's simply living into the life that God wants him to lead. I love how things are stated in this movie, and I think it gives us a lot of food for thought. I mean, what a terrible weight for Harold Abraham to live under, and what a joy for Eric Liddell to live. The question is, what kind of relationship do you have with God? Is it like Harold, or is it like Eric? Is it to try to prove your existence or is it running freely and joyfully under the pleasure of God? This is the difference. And this is why we emphasize, first of all, in this series, that we are called by a good God. Not by a God who is looking for you to justify your existence, but a God who has already loved you and saved you and has prepared good work for you to do in advance. And this now leads us to our second aspect, the second aspect of calling. We are called to do good work. We're called to do good work. And I want us to pay special attention to this adjective that is used to describe the type of work that God has called us to do. It's good work. God has prepared in advance good work for us to do. I emphasize good because in our church world today and in our world at large, we are obsessed with greatness. Greatness is what we want to pursue. Greatness is what grabs our attention. Greatness is what gets the applause. Greatness is what we stop and stare and we look to because greatness is what the world celebrates. And unfortunately, Greatness is sometimes, even in church world, substituted for goodness. And this has caused all kinds of hurt. In scripture, in this verse and many more like it, the emphasis of God is to focus on goodness. So at one point, there's this conversation that Jesus has with his disciples. He's explaining to them that he is going to die on the cross. He's going to Jerusalem to die on the cross, uh, to take on sin and death, and to rise again in three days. And they don't get it because they are obsessed with a conversation about greatness. Let's pick up the story in Mark. Mark chapter 9, verses 30 to 37. They left that place and passed through Galilee. Jesus did not want anyone to know where they were because he was teaching his disciples. He said to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. 
they will kill him. And after three days, he will rise. But they did not understand what he was, what he meant. And were afraid to ask him about it. They came to Capernaum. When he was in the house, he asked them, What were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet because on the way, they had argued about who was the greatest. Sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said, Anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. He took a little child whom he placed among them, and taking the child in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. What Jesus is doing in this moment is he's turning the conversation about greatness on its head. He's helping them to focus on service, loving other people. He's turning that ambition and the desire for greatness into a concern for doing good. This is what Jesus has been about. And when his disciples had this root, this weed that had rooted itself in their souls around the conversation of greatness and being great in the eyes of the world, when they wanted to be at his left and right hand, when they wanted the seats of position and power, Jesus turned the whole thing around and told them to focus on service and humility. And over the last few years in church world, we've witnessed a number of mega pastors and mega ministry leaders fall from their positions of greatness. Some have had to resign. Some have been called to step down because of abuses that they've made or sins that they have committed uh, real difficult things to witness. And it's been really heartbreaking for us as pastors at access because some of these leaders we have pointed to we refer to their books so we've invited you to their conferences and there's a heartbreaking element to that because they were not the people that we had thought they were i am not here to throw stones or to cast judgment on others especially not on other leaders within the kingdom of god but seeing these things unfold has definitely brought a question over and over in my mind. I wonder if for some of these leaders, if the pursuit of greatness has somehow supplanted their pursuit of goodness, that somehow in their desire to be great in the eyes of the world or even in the eyes of the church has somehow allowed them to make some really bad choices in life. You see, God's focus has been and always has been on goodness and that is what he's calling you and I to focus on in this series as we think about calling. The joy that God is calling us to experience in this life is to join him in his redemptive work in this world, his good work that he is prepared in advance for you to do. And whether that work is seen or unseen in the eyes of the world does not really matter. 
whether this work is five talent work or two talent work or one talent work, it is irrelevant because how many talents that God gives you is not a measure of how much he loves you or how much he values you. At the end of the day, God says good and faithful servant. He calls out what is important to him at the end of the day to all who do good work in his eyes. So whether it's loud or it's quiet, whether it's showy or not, or whether others recognize it, let's be open to the work that God is calling us to do. And now at this time, we move to the Lord's table. So if you have your elements with you, the bread and the cup, I invite you to bring them out to celebrate communion. The Lord's table, it centers us. It reminds us that we are in this covenant relationship with God. It reminds us of what is important and what is real and what is the center of our relationship with God. Not our work, but His work that brings goodness and grace into our lives. Again, we are not here because we have earned our way, but because God invites us to the table. That's why Jesus said to do this often. We need this reminder. We need to be centered once again. If this is your first time taking it, I invite you to receive these elements in faith by taking the bread and the cup you are in a sense saying yes to God and you are believing in Jesus Christ that his work for your life is effective, that his work on the cross saves us from sin and death and that we are born again. If you've been doing this for a while, be reminded again and again that at the heart of your relationship with God, there is grace. You are forgiven you are set free, you are born again, and you are given a new charge in life. So let's take a minute now. We'll pause for a moment of silent prayer. I'll have some words on some slides if you need some words to help guide you in prayer. And then we'll together recite the scripture and take of the bread and the cup. Let's pray. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, This is my body, for which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take the bread together. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's take the cup together. Hey friends, before you go today, just want to remind you that next weekend we're going to be having an in-person gathering at Stebbins. 
to take part in it and you need to sign up in advance so that we can do some of the uh, the proper tracking but we'd love to see you in person be sure to click on the links in the newsletter or even on this youtube video to be able to sign up and be in person for our next gathering at Stebbins, 10 a.m next sunday we'll see you soon take care loving god through all our years let the church be a community where we learn about love and practice it, where we envision peace and work to build it, where we meet partners in faith who wish to abandon everything that cheapens our discipleship, where we discover gifts and offer them. May your spirit guide us toward joy and generosity. In Jesus' name, in the way of Jesus. Amen.